Greetings. You're listening to the Bonnie Boat Sailing Podcast. My name is Chris Smith. Whether you're a grizzled old salt, pining for the days of wire rope halyards, or a greenhorn, wondering what the hell a dolphin striker is, this is the podcast that seeks to fill the need for everybody's third most favorite pastime. That is, talking about sailing. Welcome to this week's episode of the Bonnie Boat Sailing Podcast. If you're just joining us, this first batch of episodes chronicles the refit and subsequent adventures of my wife Ryan and I aboard our 1967 Pearson Ariel Firefly. We spent two years on the hard fixing up the old girl and took her down the ICW from Virginia to the Florida Keys and back. Cheers! So last week we left off in Oriental, and I realized that some of you out there may be just kind of picturing a generic sailboat. So let me set the stage a little bit and describe Firefly. Um, as I've mentioned before, uh, Firefly is a Pearson Ariel. Was, she was built in 1967. Uh, she's just tad under six, 26 feet long, 18 feet on the waterline, uh, 8 foot beam. She draws about 3 foot 8, uh, full keel, um, and the rudder is hung off the back of the keel. So it's an attached rudder off the back of the keel. Uh, she's got a gray hull, uh, white decks, and a bright yellow transom. If you're a fan of the, the show Firefly, um, that will make sense. <laughs> so she's a Carl Alberg design. So she has a raised cabin top uh, from the cockpit to a little bit after the mast. And then, um, and then it kind of slopes down to a lower cabin top uh, forward of the mast. Uh, she's sloop rigged, hang, all hank on sails. The cockpit is long. Uh, it's got about a six-foot bench on either side uh, with a tiller. Going below, uh, you step down onto the countertop and then down onto the cabin sole. Uh, and under the counter, we kept the ship's batteries as well as a big stowage bin full of winter clothes. Uh, and then facing forward from there, there's a berth to starboard that extends underneath the cockpit. And then there's a seat to port. Uh, and forward of that seat, on the port side is the head compartment, and then there's stowage across from that on, uh, on starboard. Um, and then there's a curtain that, that divides the cabin in uh, between the V-berth and the main cabin and also gives privacy to the head. Um, the V-berth is small. Uh, headroom is about five foot, so it's, it's pretty tight in there. Um, it feels, it, when we first started sleeping on the boat, it felt a little bit like sleeping in a coffin, but we got used to it and it became cozy. Um, and then forward of the V-berth is the anchor locker. So there's not a single place on the boat where you can't reach out both arms and touch either side of the cabin. So in Oriental, I finally got around to wiring up some lighting and uh, all the power on the boat was supplied by our solar panels. Uh, and Ryan had taken point on, on the solar charging system and getting that all, doing all the research. So she described our setup uh, in a post called Sun Worship. Take it away, babe. When Chris and I decided to turn our little firefly into a home, I immediately knew I wanted to take care of our power needs with solar energy. I worked for a biofuel company for a while a few years back and learned a ton about green energy options, but didn't truly become obsessed with solar until Chris and I watched the new version of Cosmos when it came out on Netflix. If you haven't seen it, I highly recommend it. Neil deGrasse Tyson managed to make it abundantly clear to me. The sun throws energy at us constantly, and for free. It's not going anywhere, or if it does, we'll go with it. 
Solar energy is truly our greatest, cleanest, most abundant energy-related resource. People who are way smarter than I am have recently managed to create cost-effective methods of harnessing the sun's energy, which for us meant it was extremely accessible. I was leaning towards implementing a truly portable system for Firefly. Goal Zero has some pretty cool stuff I was drooling over. Chris, however, wanted living on Firefly to be a little less like camping and more like living in a home. And I'm really glad he won me over. At the recommendation of a fellow Regent Point Marina slipholder, thanks Mike, we checked out a company called Renogy. They sell extremely affordable solar systems that are DIY installable, which are more permanent than the Goal Zero products. We sat down to calculate our energy needs. We tried to overestimate, which were fairly minimal. We knew we'd want to power our iPhones, a laptop, a VHF radio, a handheld GPS, a few lights, and maybe some small personal fans. We decided we need about a 100 amp hour battery, and then that we would need 100 watts from a solar panel or panels. We bought two 50 watt panels and a controller, which controls how much energy flows from the panels into the battery how fast, from Renogy, for less than $300. We figured out a way to mount the panels on the stern rail of Firefly. The panels have two positions, engaged or not. We simply tied a stopper knot into some thin line and pull on it, and cleat it off to pull the panel into the engaged position. Simple systems equal less that can go wrong. So, Firefly now has wings. How appropriate. The biggest problem we ran into was that the wiring that came with the panels wasn't nearly long enough to reach down to where the battery was going to live so we had to learn to splice wires. We bought the correct gauge wire, heat shrink terminals, and we basically added line to the system. We also figured out where fuses needed to go and in what order all the components needed to go. Panels into controller, controller into fuse, fuse into battery, battery to outlet, etc. Another decision we made was to keep everything in 12 volt DC power instead of putting in an inverter and switching everything to AC. For those of you who don't know a lot about electric, which we didn't before this project, DC power is what you have in your car when you use a cigarette lighter style car charger. AC power is what you have in your house. This allows us to use a lot less energy. It's my understanding that we use AC power in our homes because it travels over longer distances much better than DC power. Not an issue for us here on Firefly. After we made that decision, I set out looking for 12 volt everything. I found a 12-volt charger for AA and AAA NIMH rechargeable batteries, which has has been super useful. I found a 12-volt charger for my laptop. I bought a 12-volt USB adapter, which we use to charge our phones, the Kindle, and to plug in these cool USB LED lights. Even though we've really only had three sunny days so far on this trip, today is day 13, we've had more than enough power to keep everything running. We definitely overestimated on solar panel size and battery need. And when the sun is shining, that's when we charge the things that take the most energy. When it's not, we don't. Another thing that's happened on this trip is that the rhythm of our lives has started coinciding more with the rhythm of the sun, which, when you think about it, makes a lot of sense. We've gone to bed around 8 p.m. and gotten up around 5 a.m. lots of times. It just seems so natural to go to bed after it's been dark for a while and we want to be underway while we have the light and either at anchor or docked by the time it gets dark. We have also been using a solar shower when we're at anchor. You fill the shower with water and leave it in the sun to get warm. Then you hang it up 
in our case from the boom, and voila, you have a warm shower. I've never been more grateful for a sunny day at any other time in my life, and I think that's a good thing. Thanks, love. So we've also gotten some emails about uh, the composting head, uh, and it's uh, kind of cool, uh, not the composting head, but a fellow who owns a Pearson Ariel on the West Coast uh, had followed along on our blog and actually just emailed me about the podcast, which was nice nice to hear from him. Uh, but it's kind of funny. I, you know, I feel a little weird talking about this, which is indicative of how far removed from cruising I am at this point. You know, talking about the toilet and the plumbing system is, uh, is not something you hear n- normal people talking about all that much, but among sailors, it's a pretty... Uh, primal concern um but so we installed a composting head and in in general it worked great um it does not smell inside the boat um so if you're not familiar with composting heads it's it's essentially uh it's like a roto like a plastic roto molded toilet and you you prime it with uh some composting material uh in our case we used peat moss and so you know the waste goes into there and it gets mixed up with the peat moss and it uh and it 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 composts so it uh it you know just pretty much turns into dirt um so it worked great didn't smell it inside the boat at all um you know the alternative with a holding tank um you know there's a lot of times you would step onto someone's boat and it just kind of smelled like festering excrement <laughs> but never had that problem with the uh with the composting head um Occasionally, you could get you got a little whiff of something through the vent um, outside if you were motoring and, and it was you know there wasn't much wind, um, but that was fairly unusual. Um, th- you know the one thing it does the the head does not work when the boat heals. The way the 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 composting head works is it's it separates the the liquids and the solids just kind of it directs one down one chute and the other down another so that that system doesn't work when the boat is heeled over so motoring down the icw it's fine at anchor it's fine but if you're sailing but if you're sailing uh, you know most for us if we're sailing a windward it, it doesn't you can't use the you can't use the toilet <laughs> um you know it does eliminate some through holes which is nice um so, you know, I guess the major downside of the composting head is you have to physically empty it, which is not the most pleasant job, um, but it could be worse. It's pretty much just dirt and it, it doesn't, it really doesn't smell bad. Um, not something you look forward to. And I always, <laughs> I always end up doing it at night. Uh, you know, we would, if we were tied to a dock, you'd like sneak ashore and throw it in a dumpster, um, which I believe is actually legal once it's fully composted. So it, I don't think there's any issues with doing that, but definitely felt a little weird dumping our poop in people's garbage. <laughs> and all all that kind of seems like a hassle until you consider the alternative. Um, and if you know if you've been spent any time around boats, you've probably heard any number of horror stories regarding holding tanks backing up or plumbing getting pl- plugged up or clogged. And, um, and the thing with being a sailor is you're you're a sailor, but you're also an electrician and a plumber and a fiberglass worker. Um, and if we, Ryan and I just recently actually got into watching the Delos videos on YouTube, um, if you're not familiar with them, they're sailing around the world on a big 54 foot ML. Um, but they they had an episode where one of their toilets backed up. And uh, if you ever need convincing of whether or not you should go 
with a composting head or a traditional head, just look that one up. And I, and I think it's, it's a pretty convincing argument for the composting head. <laughs> um, so in terms of installation on aboard an aerial, uh, it's pretty straightforward. The head does need a vent, uh, an electric fan to pull air through it to, to keep everything cooking right. Uh, so we installed a solar vent, so it's independent of the ship's batteries, and it just runs 24-7. Um, and that seemed to work great. Um, you know, our aerial, Firefly, has a separate head compartment, which was custom-made uh, a few owners prior to us, which is it's not normal for the for the Pearson aerial. Uh, and that is nice. It definitely is a... it's As opposed to having it up in the V-Birth, which is, I think, where the uh, the original original design had it. At any rate, those are some of the, the things you have to deal with when you're living aboard. Um, but we left off, uh, we were in Oriental, and from Oriental we headed south to Spooner Creek, which is just a little bit south of Beaufort. Um, and as we were, it was you know fairly uneventful day, but there's a spot when the channel split, the ICW splits off, um, goes off to port towards Beaufort, and to, there's a channel to, uh, to starboard that goes towards Moorhead City and south. So a lot of boats stop in Beaufort because it's a cool town. Uh, but it, it, from Oriental, it's a fairly short run, so we decided to keep pushing. And as we're coming up to the the, uh, the junction marker there, it's I think it's called Russell Slough. There was a um, there's a boat ahead of us, and it looks like they got confused or something, because all of a sudden they made a hard 90 degree turn, and it's, but instead of slowing down, like they they put the hammer down, they took off, and they hit hit a shoal at like hull speed and it, it was so it was such a hard grounding the whole hull came out of the whole aft part of the boat you know the transom came out of the water you could see the mast you know kind of flopping around like a rubber band it was ugly and uh i mean you know if someone was wasn't holding on they could have probably gotten pretty seriously hurt uh we heard them on the radio you know calling out that they were hard ground but i think the wind and the, the tide were running such that it, they popped right off so you know they got lucky, and it was certainly a, an eye-opener for us to, to kind of pay attention and make sure, if you don't know where you are, you know, to slow down and, and just and go out the way you came, I guess. The rest of the day was otherwise uneventful. Uh, we anchored in a little creek called Spooner Creek, uh, which, which I was reading through my notes, and I have the word panopticon underlined. <laughs> so you can Google that if you're interested. But there was, like, million-dollar houses crowded all around this little tiny anchorage, so... I wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend it unless you, you, you're running out of daylight. From Spooner Creek, we made our way down uh, towards Swansboro. Um, so that's, another, that's a, another fairly short run. I think it was only 20, 25 miles. So we had an early day. Um, Ryan has some family friends down there in Swansboro, so we visited with them. Uh, had a great time. It's a cool little town. You can There's groceries within uh, walking distance. There's a, there's a couple cool little restaurants and bars down there along the waterfront. Um, what scares a lot of people off is there's a lot of current in the anchorage, and it's, it reverses 180 degrees with, with the change of the tide. Um, so we we had a nice nice evening. We get back to the boat, and the guy coming in late, and he anchored this large Beneteau. And I'm not going not gonna to name names, but <laughs> the boat name and the guy's name were seared into my memory. But they anchored right on top of us. Um, you know, and I was we were still fairly inexperienced. So I was I was too nice about it. I you know I called out to him. I said, "Hey, you know, you guys think you're maybe a little close?" And he said, "Oh no, we're fine." They they said they put a kellet down, which is like a a weight on the on the anchor road to try to keep keep uh, 
the angle on the anchor, I guess, more optimal when you're anchoring on short, short road. Um, I guess if anyone out there knows anything more about kelets, I'd be interested in hearing, hearing about it. It seems like it could be a help in, in light air, but with a, you know, a modern anchor design that's designed to, to reset with a 180 degree tide, tide changes or wind shifts. I'm not sure if it's, it's a best practice, but at any rate, he said he had a kelet and and that it would be fine. So we kind of took him at his word, um, went to bed, woke up the next day to the sound of, of his boat banging down the side of Firefly. So I run up and I'm yelling at the guy, you know, trying to get him to wake up. And, and fortunately they didn't hit hard. It was just, it was kind of more of a light tap really. Um, definitely not a, a nice way to wake up. Um, so I'm yelling at them and, and no one's waking up and they're kind of drifting back through the anchorage. And, uh, so the tide was, I guess, must've been coming in. And at the, at the back end of the anchorage, there's a bridge, um, with a clearance about, it's a, it's a low bridge. It probably has about five foot clearance. And so he's drifting back through the anchorage and I thought he was going to drift under the bridge and, and lose the rig. Um, apparently I guess there's a, a shoal right in front of it, but I, I didn't know it at the time. So, so it was pretty early. It was, you know, just dawn, I would say, and, and no one in the, in the anchorage was awake. So I jumped in the dinghy and I rowed over to this guy's boat after he just dragged down on top of us and I'm banging on the hull trying to get him up. And finally he, you know, someone pokes their head up and I'm, I'm like, you're dragging. And I don't even know if they actually believed me. I don't think they re- recognized where they were. You know, they seemed a little disoriented. Um, but you know, eventually they got they you know, they took their sweet time, but they got the motor started and they and they left. <laughs> but um, we were a little bit uh, upset with the uh, the crew of that particular Beneteau. But so I'm, I row back to the boat and I, um, I you know I get back to the boat. I set the oars up up on board Firefly, and I let let go of the rail for just a second. And in, in that second, the current pulled the pulled bug pulled me in the dinghy out of reach of, of the boat. Um, so we're, it, it was almost me drifting back under the bridge, but Ryan thought quickly and she threw me the main sheet and, uh, you know, another few seconds I would have been out of reach, but I was able to pull myself back on board and, uh, lesson learned, always tie off the dinghy before you put the, the oars up on deck. Um, and then later that day, as we were going through, I believe, um, Camp Lejeune, we did see the the guy in the big Beneteau get waked really hard by a big sport fisher. So I'm not going to say we were happy about it, but we didn't shed any tears either. <laughs> so that that next, so we you know at this point we were up we were up at dawn, so we figured we would get rolling. Um, again, we were going through Camp Lejeune, which is kind of a cool cool part of the ICW. Uh, not much there. Uh, occasionally you'll see some, some military activity, but it's, it's pretty wild. Um, we followed, uh, the crew of Whisper through a shoaling area. There's uh, there's a lot of inlets along that stretch of the North Carolina coast that they're moving, moving buoys around a lot. And we don't have a depth sounder. So we were a little nervous. I think that must've been the first one that was a trouble spot. So we followed Whisper through and they, they were, you know, kind of calling it out on the radio and, and that, that was a great help. Um, so we tried to anchor that evening in topsail sound, um, but the wind was funneling right up this sound. It's a, it's a narrow bay, but the axis runs southwest to northeast, and and the, the wind was just funneling right up it. So there's a good deal of fetch, even though the bay is probably less than a mile wide. It's you know probably 20 miles long or something like that. Um, so it was pretty it was pretty bouncy, and we decided to shell out the money for a marina. 
um, which turned out to be great because we got to hang out with the crew of Whisper in the marina. Uh, they're great people. They're uh, they're great lake sailors, and it, it seems, at least in my experience, all the uh, a lot of the sailors that come from the Great Lakes seem to be pretty pretty badass. Really know their stuff. Uh, I guess I guess they get some pretty tough weather up there, and uh, and the water's cold all year round, so you have to really love it, I guess. But uh, great people, and uh, they're, they're, we we ran into them. We hung out with them the whole the whole way south. So that was it was fortuitous that we ended up staying in the marina that night because it was it was nice nice to meet them. Um, it was one of the few nights that we ended up staying in a marina out of and lack of options for anchoring. Um, and that's one of those, one of those hype things you hear about, uh, about the ICW. Um, and we'd heard from a guy at the marina here in, in Virginia that once you get south of like Beaufort in North Carolina, there's no, there's nowhere to anchor and you have to pay for the marina and all the marinas are expensive and this and that. Um, but it's really not that big a deal. We, we didn't find it to be a big deal. Um, you know, as long as you looked at the charts, kind of looked at the anchorages, plan, tried to plan your days a, a day or two ahead so that you didn't get ended up stuck on a stretch where there was, you know, 70 miles without a decent anchorage and be forced to stay in a marina or forced to stay somewhere you didn't want to stay. Uh, it wasn't it wasn't that big a deal. Really, daylight hours, uh, you know, daylight travel time is, is the biggest challenge and it just takes a little bit of planning. But then again, that's kind of the appeal, too. Um, being kind of ruled by ruled by the the elements um, and Ryan spoke about our solar setup and it, it's kind of cool that the power generation of our trip was diurnal as well we were you know we were ruled by the by the, the sunlight and, uh, and so was the uh, the running of the ship uh, you know living on the water brings you into contact with that kind of basic reality of our existence you rise with the sun you wake up along with the rest of the natural world you're part of the natural world. You get the coffee going, uh, the dew starts to lift off the deck, the sun heats the water, the air warms up, you put some amps into the batteries, and if you're lucky, you catch some wind in the sails. You know, sailboats are the original solar-powered vehicles. So if you're enjoying the podcast, uh, do me a favor and leave us a rating and a review on iTunes. I'd, uh, I'd really appreciate it. If you're not enjoying the podcast, just keep your comments confined to Facebook, if you would. Uh, and that's where the trolls live. <laughs> I guess if you're not enjoying the podcast, it doesn't necessarily follow that you're a troll. But it's something to think about at any rate. Further on. That's it for this episode of The Bonnie Boat. Thanks for listening. I know time is my most scarce resource these days, so I appreciate you uh, choosing to spend your time listening here. One of the reasons I decided to throw my hat into the podcast ring is to get in touch with other like-minded sailing maniacs. To that end, if you have any comments or suggestions, you can email me at thebonnieboat at gmail.com. You can find us online at thebonnieboat.wordpress.com. And remember, to be a sailor, you don't need a YouTube channel with 100,000 video subscribers. You don't need an Instagram account with pictures of beautiful people in their bathing suits. You certainly don't need a podcast. You don't even need a boat. You just need to go sailing. Until next time, this is Firefly standing by on Channel 16.
This is so weird. I know. Okay. I told I told you it was weird. <laughs> I'm speaking to the wall. I know, it's super weird. Okay.